Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, another country mandates vaccination, a new variant further delays reopening, and a proposed measure to ban products from Xinjiang, China. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Hello and welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North, The Andrew Lawton Show, Tuesday, November 30th. 2021 the last day of november i know which means that it's just what 31 days left until the end of the year and in 2022 we'll still be on the third year of the covid era but nevertheless feeling like a little bit of progress is perhaps coming then again maybe not we have the omicron virus the omicron variant the omicron strain whatever you want to call it the one that conveniently sidestepped new in the Greek alphabet because the World Health Organization didn't want a who's on first Abbott and Costello type situation of like the new variant and the new variant and all that jazz. And then they skipped the Xi variant, XI, because they didn't want to stigmatize a region. That was what they said. Conveniently, Xi is spelt the same way as Xi Jinping's last name, the chairman of the Chinese Communist Party, uh, Xi. So they didn't want the Xi variant because, well, I mean, every single COVID variant is a Xi variant. So they didn't want to do that. They didn't want to stigmatize the entire region. So instead, what we're stuck with is the Omicron variant, which, as has been pointed out, is an anagram of the word moronic. So take from that what you will. I, I actually love this. The World Health Organization is showing its true color here, they're revealing quite candidly that their masters are the Chinese Politburo and the rest of us just have to get on board. I mean, look, if the whole point of this is that we have to get through to Omega, I'm okay skipping a couple of letters. Maybe it'll actually get us to the end of the pandemic faster. But my goodness, the, I when I first saw that story, someone had tweeted about it that, oh, you know, the WHO skipped over Xi or Zai, rather, and I was thinking, oh, that's too good to be, I mean, they, they, surely they, they couldn't have done that, and I went looking, and I said, okay, there's the Lambda variant, and the Mu variant, and, and I couldn't find any record of a Z, Z variant, or a Zai variant, now I'm calling it the Xi variant, <laughs> I couldn't find any record, and then I'm, you know, looking, and then finally the WHO admitted, and I'm like, see, this is the whole thing, satire is mirrored by reality, eventually the two start to converge, and that's where we are now, <laughs> so the, so so the Omicron variant is the new big thing. And by the way, if, if there, if the, I said this in a radio interview this morning, if the 14th letter or whatever number it is of the Greek alphabet were Trump, I don't think they would skip it. I, I think they would like say it's the most deadly one yet. It's going to, you know, kill grandma. It's going to kill your siblings. It's going to shut down the whole world, the, the Trump variant. But but no, when it, but when it's, when it's the Xi variant and they know people are going to look at it and see and read and say the Xi variant, it's, well, let, let's just uh, let's just skip that one. No, no, no. Let's just move right on to Omicron. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about some of the pandemic craziness that is taking place here. In Greece, the new policy coming out is that everyone over 60 must be vaccinated. Every 60 plus Greek person must be vaccinated according to an announcement by Greece's prime minister. If you aren't vaccinated, 
you'll have to pay a 100 euro fine per month. So you'll have to pay basically 1,200 euros a year for the duration of the vaccine mandate, for the duration of the pandemic. But the government says it's not a penalty. Oh no, not a penalty in the least, not not whatsoever. The Greek Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis has said that it is a health fee. It is not a punishment. I would say it's a health fee. So what Greece is doing is they're putting in a vaccine mandate for seniors and claiming that it's not a, pun- a penalty. It's not a fine. They're saying it's it's just like the unvaccinated tax. And if you want the unvaccinated tax to go away, you have to get the vaccinated tax credit and just be vaccinated and then you won't have to pay the fee. But the, I mean, that is the great example of how the gaslighting is at work here. They're trying to tell you we're not punishing you for your own health decisions. We're just, it's, it's a health fee. That's all. Pay for the healthcare system. That's how we're going to do it. That's how we're going to reduce capacity by getting you uh, unvaccinated, unwashed masses to pony up 100 euros a month. And we're going to put that. Now, Greece is not a country historically that has been a good manager of its economy and of its fiscal situation. So this may just be a novel way for the Greek government to try to collect a bit of money to, I don't know, avoid needing to be bailed out by Germany again. Or it could just be they are doing what Turkmenistan and Austria have done in taking aim at the unvaccinated. and and saying even further that they do not have rights because what happens if you don't pay the fine? That's the question. If you don't pay the fine, in a lot of jurisdictions, you could end up in prison. So even if they aren't saying we're throwing you in jail for not being vaccinated, if that's what happens when you don't pay the fine, I'm actually very satisfied with the interpretation of this, that they are throwing you in jail if you are not getting vaccinated. Again, I don't know if that's what the Greek situation is. In Austria, there's one story here that came out that says the draft version of the law will fine Austrians up to 7,200 euros. 7,200 euros. And they are talking about whether they have to renew that every six months. Because if you don't pay it or if you uh, just aren't vaccinated and it doesn't make you get vaccinated, do they get to fine you again in a few months' time for still not being vaccinated? They haven't yet come out with the final text. But again, if you don't pay it, what happens? What happens? At least the Greeks are saying, well, theoretically, you could just keep paying the fine every month and it won't escalate. But if you don't pay in Greece or in Austria, what happens? And I made a prediction, which I, as you know, if you listen to the show a lot, you, I don't often do, but I made a prediction when Austria put in its vaccine mandate. I said, you're going to start to see now a bunch of different countries start to try this out because that's how it happens. Countries look around, they see what other leaders and other uh, governments are able to get away with, and they start doing it themselves. And I joked that Austria was in the company of only one country in the world when it did this, and that was Turkmenistan, which had the first vaccine mandate in the world implemented in July uh, by, I I don't even know if I can say his name, but I'm going to try, President Gurban Guli Berdamukha, I can do this, I can do this, President Gurban Guli Berdamukhamadov. Yeah, so President Burba, whatever it was, has said that uh, COVID doesn't exist there. That's his position, but 
he's now putting a vaccine mandate in effect. The Turkmenistan strongman that is President Bertie Mukhamadov. Oh yeah, when I say it like that, it's not, I probably didn't get it right, but anyway. Not that memorizing the Turkmenistan leader's name needs to be my top priority here, but the whole, but now if there was a, a Berta Mukhamadov variant, uh, you better believe that the World Health Organization would, would probably not skip over that letter of the Greek alphabet if that were one of them. Turkmenistan has introduced a vaccine mandate. Austria's introduced a vaccine mandate. Greece is just dipping its toe in the Aegean Sea with a mini age-based vaccine mandate, and you know that other countries are going to follow behind it. You just know, and that was the whole thing. Greece is, I think, an example of that. They're looking and saying, well, Austria's done this. Austria did the world a favor, by the way. Not because there's anything good about the policy, but they did something so restrictive that if a country goes like 80% as restrictive, they look by comparison reasonable. So Greece is trying to say that it's reasonable right now. Now we're only going after people who are 60 plus. Yeah, it's just 100 euros a month. People are going to look at that and say, well, at least it's not like the Austria situation. And again, I go back to that clip I played from the Australian chief minister of the Northern Territory last week that by saying this, I'm an anti-vaxxer because I oppose mandatory vaccination. Ergo, I'm an anti-vaxxer and no one should pay attention. Well, I think if anything, we need to see more people who are completely indifferent on vaccination or pro-vaccination, whatever, that are saying, ah, but I'm against mandating it. Because this is the new battleground. And, and whenever you hear a new variant of concern, like the Omicron variant, that is going to come and basically start us from zero again, it's giving government license to do more. And, and remember, policy doesn't need to be effective for it to be embraced by government. Just take a, a look at the travel restrictions that Canada and other countries put in when the Omicron variant emerged from South Africa, courtesy of Botswana. They do this. They impose this restriction on a, net, a number of countries. And then the first case we detect in Canada came not from any of the countries that had a travel restriction imposed, but instead from uh, Nigeria which wasn't on the list at all. The whole point is that once you detect these things, the virus has already skipped over, you know, a third away, a third of the way across the globe. So it's not to say the travel restrictions don't work and can't work. It's that in order for a travel restriction to work, it needs to be imposed early. It needs to be ironclad. And you basically need to be an island nation. I mean, a travel restriction in Canada was never going to work because we have one of the most integrated cross-border supply chains anywhere in the world between Canada and the U.S. And the number of people who were exempt from quarantine, exempt from testing, exempt from the travel ban because of cross-border trade was astronomical. So it was never going to work. You look at countries like Taiwan, yeah, They've been able to nip it in the bud, but you know how they've done it? Because they're literally an island, and because when you go in there, you're in the most restrictive quarantine imaginable. There was a one story months ago of a guy who was in quarantine, and he popped his head out the door of his hotel room, and he got fined for, I think it was like some astronomical amount. So a travel restriction makes politicians look like they're doing something when they know that it's not actually going to have the result because by the time it's detected, Omicron's already gone down the world, gone all the way around the world and we're almost at the next letter. So the problem 
is that the what they have left are domestic restrictions. Things like lockdowns, things like vaccine mandates, things like vaccine passports. A vaccine passport, which, by the way, was supposed to, in Ontario and I think British Columbia, be lifted in January. Do you believe that it's going to be lifted in the next month and a half? I don't. All of these predictions and projections of when we'd reopen and drop the mask mandate, drop the vaccine passport, all of that is completely fictitious. I mean, these people couldn't predict modeling on cases, so I don't predict, I don't think they can predict modeling on their own government's policies even all that well, because again, they don't know what the landscape is going to look like. And when you've got a new variant of concern being named every month or every six weeks, we're not going to get to that point in January where politicians are saying, okay, yeah, we're, we're going to go back to normal. All they're going to do is start heaping more and more restrictions on. And that's what we're seeing now. Places like Australia, and Australia is a great example because it's had for much, much of the last two years among the most restrictive COVID measures anywhere in the developed world. And Australia is now seeing that they're needing to ramp those up. They're trying to do more of the same. And that's going to be what happens here. The same measures that didn't protect us from all the stuff that the government says is so dangerous right now is somehow the remedy or the solution to those things. And again, it doesn't actually make sense, but this is what we're doing. So we're going to see countries look at Austria and look at Greece and say, okay, they, they've, they've popped the cork on that. That is now a legitimate tool we have at our disposal. Let's take some version of it and make it ours. And I can't say when or if Canada is going to mandate vaccination population-wide, but I am saying that there's going to be an increasing trend and push for this if the pandemic goes on any longer, which with this new variant being declared and some countries ratcheting up their restrictions, we know is all but certain over the next couple of months. And interestingly enough, this story was making the rounds over the weekend. In Germany, the spectator has reported that euthanasia clinics are refusing unvaccinated customers. So a note from the German Euthanasia Association, which was apparently a thing, says that human closeness is a prerequisite and a breeding ground for coronavirus transmission. So the 2G rule, which means you are either recovered, so you have natural immunity or vaccinated, applies in our association supplemented by situation-related measures such as quick tests before encounters in closed rooms. Supplemented. So it's not even enough to be vaccinated if you want to die. You have to be vaccinated against COVID and then you have to be tested on top of that. They're trying to protect other people, I guess. But the, the irony in this, that to be allowed to die, you need to do all these measures that are being externally foisted on you to supposedly save your life. I mean, again, if being unvaccinated is the death sentence that it is said to be, then perhaps if you want to end your life, that's just the easy way to do it. Today, I'm just not going to get vaccinated. But no, you are not entitled to die in Germany if you have not been, been fully vaccinated. Sometimes the jokes, I said in my newsletter yesterday, sometimes the jokes write themselves and you can't really add all that much more onto these things. But these vaccine mandates are having very real consequences. And I, I know I talk about them generally in a bigger picture sense, because I, I do believe in the big picture of civil liberties and personal choice and the danger of, of where decisions like this from governments go. But they also have very practical concerns as well. 
And I notice that governments are starting to blink a bit. So at first, it was these sweeping mandates that we're going to impose vaccine mandates and you're going to lose your job if you don't get the jab. And, and now all of a sudden, a lot of employees are calling their bluff. And I, I think that governments generally thought they were going to get near 100% compliance when they started putting these measures. But you've got Canada Post, just as a small example here. Canada Post in Lamont, Alberta. Now, this is a quite a small town, but it was temporarily closed the day the vaccine mandate took effect because they didn't have staff. They didn't have staff. That was the belief that everyone in the community had. That was the scuttlebutt around town that the vaccine mandate forced this particular community to lose access to its postal service. Alberta Health Services has 3,000 unvaccinated staff and they were getting closer and closer to the deadline and they've now had to extend the deadline and introduce rapid testing because they cannot afford to get rid of 3,000 healthcare workers. They can't. They, they cannot afford. No healthcare system can say we're in a pandemic, but we can get rid of thousands and thousands of people. And I've seen other hospital boards that are doing the same thing where they're, they're, they're staring down this deadline and all of a sudden no one's getting red, no one's getting pink slips, no one's losing their job because they know that they can't afford to get rid of that many people. And I've heard from a, a couple of people that have reached out that have said, I'm fully vaccinated, but I'm not telling my employer that. Because they're trying to show a bit of solidarity here and say, yeah, I, I'm not playing ball with this. I'm vaccinated. I made that choice. But if that's the price of keeping my job, I'm not going to show you the proof of such. And that's inflating the numbers. I mean, some of those 3,000 AHS people are, I'm sure, actually fully vaccinated. You've got Biden administration in the U.S., which has delayed vaccine mandate penalties until 2022 and, and isn't taking action against federal workers until then, and maybe not even then. I think a lot of these delays are just kind of governments not wanting to admit they got it wrong, but at the same time, <laughs> they're, they're trying to make it so that they can sort of wait it out, and, and hopefully the pandemic will be over before they have to live up to what they've said they'll do to unvaccinated workers. And it's not to say people haven't lost their jobs. People have. I, I know it's the case, and I think it's wrong. But on some of those uh, later deadlined places, those later deadline employers, I'm noticing that there seems to be, again, I, I don't want to say that the people opposing vaccine mandates have won. But there seems to be a bit of a reckoning that, okay, maybe we misjudged our workforce here. In the meantime, we've got to take a quick break. When we come back, more of The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. Stay tuned. You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show. Welcome back to The Andrew Lawton Show. I mentioned, of course, the World Health Organization deciding to capitulate to China by skipping over the letter Xi in the Greek alphabet when naming variants. Well, we also had this funny story where the Simpsons had an episode in which the Simpson family went to Beijing and they visited Tiananmen Square and saw, as you can see on the screen there, a sign that said nothing at all happened on that site in 1989 and this episode conspicuously was absent from the offerings on Disney Plus in Hong Kong so The Simpsons was announced and if you were skipping through all the episodes from whatever season it was in 2005 you'd say oh wow I wonder what happens next oh I think it's that one where they go to China and then the episode wouldn't be there 
And Disney Plus has decided that appeasing China is more important than actually offering the full slate of episodes from The Simpsons. So I, I noted on Twitter that, you know, what are the letters Xi and The Simpsons have in common? Both have been... <laughs> Both have been censored to appease Chairman Xi and the Chinese Politburo. Now, I should say, I'm not one of these totally by canadian people. I think buying Canadian is great, but what I mean by that is that I'm sympathetic that not everyone can afford to buy Canadian-made things. And I also realize that there are a lot of products that simply aren't made in Canada because we are in general, an import economy on a lot of the trinkets and gadgets that people like to buy, the consumers like to buy. But there's a difference between not buying Canadian-made things and buying Chinese-made things. There are, you know, depending on who you ask, 194 other countries you could choose from. So this is why I found it interesting to spotlight this bill that was put forward in the Senate by Senator Leo Husakos, Bill C-204. Now, this is not looking at just Chinese-made products. It's identifying a problem that's very specific, which is products in China made by forced labor specifically in the Xinjiang region where the genocide against the Uyghur Muslims has taken place. And what Senator Husakos has proposed is a bill that would ban the import of anything made in this region. Anything, regardless of whether it was made by slave labor or not, if it was from Xinjiang, you cannot import it to Canada. Now, it's important to note we do have a prohibition on products made by forced labor. But that is not something that it seems like we've had tremendous success enforcing. At least that's what all the reports about CBSA's track record of this. This has been a huge issue, and I want to talk about it with the senator who introduced this bill to bar all imports from China's Xinjiang region, conservative senator Leo Husakos, who joins me now. Senator, good to talk to you again. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you for having me on. Now, we already have, as I understand it, a specific prohibition on goods made with forced labor, which is obviously one of the big challenges in that region, in particular in China. Why is this measure needed on top of that, in your view? Well, we do currently, as you're, you rightfully point out, we do have in the law books uh, a law to deal with this kind of issue with slave labor. Unfortunately, it hasn't worked. Uh, we've seen over more than a year now that the bill has been in the books that CBSA and Customs Canada has had a very hard time making determinations of what products are coming in that have been manufactured using slave labor. Um, and I think it's time that Canada stops with the tokenisms. And I think it's time that the Trudeau government gets its head out of the sand. And we take steps and measures against China for a variety of reasons. Uh, China, as we know right now, is the most egregious violator of human rights around the world. Uh, we know for a fact that they have absolutely no respect for human rights, democracy, freedom. They're trampling on that freedom in Hong Kong. They have no respect for international rule of law. We saw that, how willingly they are to engage in, ho in hostage diplomacy. And ultimately, I want to reiterate for the viewers that at the end of the day, the House of Commons passed a motion calling what's happening to the Uyghur people in Shanjing as a genocide. The Senate of Canada passed a motion calling on the Trudeau government to implement Magnitsky sanctions against officials in the Beijing regime. And, and Trudeau continues to refuse and drag his feet. So um, I think S4, which is the, the number of my bill in the Senate, is a bill that amends the, the Tariff Act. It makes it all encompassing any product that's manufactured or comes into Canada through Shanjing is going to be not acceptable, will be turned around, and it'll be an unequivocal message 
that genocide and slave labor will not be tolerated by the Canadian people and the Canadian government. One of the challenges here, and I, I'm sympathetic to companies that want to do the right thing but can't be entirely aware of every stage of their supply chain when you get to subcontractors and sub-subcontractors and all of that. So it strikes me that your approach would make it a lot easier for it to be enforced both by CBSA but also for, for companies that are doing business with this part of the world. 100%. Every single corporation right now that's doing business in Changing, they know full well what's going on to the Uyghur minority in that region. There's a, uh, a genocide going on. The uh, Beijing regime is completely intolerant of all religious groups uh, in China. Uh, and every group uh, and any corporation that does business there, we know full well they're doing business because they're putting profits ahead of human rights. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. Uh, there is nothing more fundamental to Canadians than democracy, freedom, and defense of human rights. That's who we are, that's our identity. Every single Canadian that's been drawn to this country, immigrants and children of immigrants, and we are all here either through immigration or, or, uh, or our children of immigrants, we've come here because of our values, because of freedom, because of our democracy, because of human rights. And if Canadians right now aren't willing to defend them in exchange for a few cheaper products or because some corporations want to bypass Canadian labor standards, Canadian environmental standards, uh, intellectual property standards, in order to make profits, we should make it clear that the day of reckoning for China is now and that we will not tolerate it. And if China wants to continue to benefit from our wealthy middle-class market, they have to align themselves to our rules, our regulations, and our values. Conservatives have always been the party of free trade, and I, I know that free trade in its truest sense requires free actors on, on both sides of the transa transaction, but there are products being made in, in China that are not the products of slave labor. So why should those products be closed off to the Canadian market if that's where a, a company is getting its supplies from? Well, my bill is particularly zeroing in on Xinjiang because we know there's a genocide going on over there. But I've always said in the past, we need to reevaluate all our trade relationship with China, because at the end of the day, we see how they trample on democracy in Hong Kong. We see how they're belligerent towards our friend and ally uh, in India, how they're trampling upon freedom in, in Taiwan. Uh, it's a regime right now that has absolutely shown time and time again, their only value is pursuit of profit and complete with complete disregard to the values of freedom and human rights. So I, I think, again, the, the democratic world and democracy, funny enough, Andrew, has never been in a more precarious position than it is in 2021. And in a lot of G7 and G20 countries, we take for granted the fact that we have certain freedoms that come along with our capitalist system. But capitalism only genuinely works when it's accompanied by free, free enterprise. And you're absolutely right. Conservatives were free traders and I'm a free trader. But free trade has to be done with a partner where you have common values, you're aligned in terms of your judicial system, your, your, your trading laws, your human rights uh, approach to human rights, uh, labor laws, like I said earlier, environmental laws, intellectual property protection. These are all things that the Chinese communist regime disregards. I know in the United States, there is an approach where you have a reverse onus in that if you can prove that the products you're importing are not the products of slave labor, now setting aside the challenges and proving a negative, then you'd be able to skirt past a, a prohibition. Why not carve an exemption like that into your bill? 
Because at the end of the day, it's just another loophole that clever organizations and corporations in China find a way to get around. We know what's going on in Shenzhen. Our parliament has called it out. Uh, parliaments around the world have called that genocide what it is. And there are certain governments that are always trying to be cute by half by allowing certain loopholes in order to appease certain corporations and certain pursuits of profit. Uh, like I said, it's uh, for Canadians that shouldn't be acceptable. It shouldn't be good enough. How do we get Canadians, and I think this is Canadian business and also Canadian consumers, off of this reliance that we seem to have on, on cheap Chinese-made products? And I mean, it, it's a challenge because a lot of Canadians who are, are themselves dealing with economic hardship uh, will gravitate towards products that are less expensive. The result is that we have this uh, self-fulfilling prophecy of a reliance on these cheap goods in China, which, as you've noted, do not have a, a reliable supply chain to them. Well, there's a few things we can do. Number one, there's other developing economic markets in the world that would love to have some of the uh, lower paying jobs that are currently uh, that are currently the benefit of, of the Chinese uh, regime and the Chinese economy. And I also believe fundamentally that our G7 countries and G20 countries and our democracies around the world have to find ways to become more competitive, to cut through bureaucratic red tape, to lower taxes, to, to, to start creating manufacturing and creating uh, jobs back in our countries, uh, which is something we haven't done over the last 20 years. And, if, and of course, uh, when we when we go back to doing that, we'll inject action into our economy. We'll, when we bring immigrants to our countries, we'll give them jobs. Uh, there's many ways to do it, but right now we've become very complacent. Uh, we've become very reliant on cheap products that come in from China. It's one thing about a product being competitive within a free market economy. It's a whole other thing when you're using slave labor. Uh, and I don't think in the 21st century, allowing any uh, economic system, any totalitarian regime around the world to use slavery in 2021. It's, it's unbelievable that it's happening in, in this day and age. And like I said, Canadians and, and all of us from the West have to take our, our heads out of the sand and take a stand and take a stand with our, our wallets when we go to the stores and you're buying your Nike product or your H&M product, or you're buying, you're buying uh, any clothing apparel. Uh, ask the questions. Where is it from? Uh, who's made this? Uh, it takes only a few seconds to get to the bottom of this, but you're you're taking a stand for humanity when you do that. Well, and I should note here, the Canadian government is not necessarily immune from this problem, as I'm sure you and, and those uh, watching are aware. Canadian government chose Lululemon as being the official clothing supplier for Team Canada for the upcoming Beijing Olympics. And, and just last week, the Globe and Mail reported that Lululemon is on a watch list for a brand that could be using products, specifically cotton, that was coming from forced labor. So you're right how, how insidious this is in, in all of these different areas of, of enterprise and, you know, right back to Canada. Canada. Look, we have over the last few decades as a government and as a people, uh, because of our reliance on cheap goods, we've accepted and tolerated and turned a, a blind eye to, to behavior that is just the most egregious and inexcusable. Uh, and we have to start asking ourselves the three or 4% of our trading uh, activity with China, is it worth really uh, compromising our values and who we are as a people? Uh, you know, Canadians, uh, hundreds of thousands gave up their lives in, in a successive number of wars fighting for democracy and freedom. Uh, people that came to this country in the 40s and 50s and 60s and to this date, they're fleeing uh, oppression 
and hardships around the world and authoritarian regimes. And they're coming to Canada and they embrace our passport and flag and our way of life. But yet on the, on the back end, we're dealing with, like I said, the most brutal regime who has no uh, value for human life, no respect for the standards that we hold so dear. Uh, and yet we continue to pursue that relationship. And it's, at, at the end of the day, we got to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, are we going to continue to engage in this hypocrisy? I know you've got to get your bill through the uh, the Senate first, and, and the House of Commons will, will have the chance to weigh in as well. But but any early indications how other parties are, are going to respond to this? I, I would assume that this is something that should cross party lines, although we know from that motion on condemning the genocide against Uyghurs that the Liberal cabinet uh, was very much not interested in making that condemnation. There's no doubt the Trudeau government, as, we, as I said earlier on, they keep dragging their feet. They keep... Uh, uh, being in contempt of Parliament at the end of the day, the House of Commons, as I mentioned, has called upon the government to recognize the genocide. They refuse. We've asked for Magnitsky sanctions. They refuse. Uh, so they seem to constantly kowtow to this Chinese regime. Uh, they, they seem to condemn publicly in terms of using words, certain behavior that's inexcusable. But when it comes to backing it up with action, uh, it never seems to equate the language. We, we, it's business as usual. It's trade delegations as usual. Uh, we've seen instances where senior liberals, including a former prime minister and, and senior liberal cabinet ministers, come out and actually encourage this government during the two Michaels crisis. Uh, to, to, to engage in hostage diplomacy, something never seen before. And that's a, another concern of mine. We've seen how the Chinese regime using various organizations and, and corporations and, and agents, they have infiltrated various institutions in all aspects of our governance, our academic institutions, the business milieu, and you, and you see it on a daily basis. So Canadians, not only have they become addicted to cheap products from China, but we've also have seen various industries, including many in the media, that have been addicted to, uh, to money that the Chinese regime has been pouring into this country through foundations and, and academic chairs and playing out advertising. When Huawei sponsors Hockey Night in Canada, uh, these are, this is a, another form of influence on a huge on our on our media platforms and, and communication platforms in this country, and we have to remember all these dollars coming in from all these type of uh, fronts for the communist authoritarian regime are money that they've made off the back of, of people. Very well said, and, and you'll be happy to know, and perhaps not all that surprised, Huawei is not a sponsor of the Andrew Lawton Show or True North. So we're good there, but I, I think your point is very well taken. And in the absence of action, we have some action coming from you, Senator, in Bill S-204. Uh, Senator Leo Husakos, thank you so much for joining me. It's good to talk to you. Anytime, Andrew. Thank you so much. Again, some things just should be too obvious, but with the whole Disney story and even the, the WHO and the Greek alphabet, I mean, these little things, they speak to a general capitulation and appeasement with regard to China that is not doing anyone well, and it's certainly not doing democracy well. So thanks again to Senator Leo Husakos. With that, we've got to wrap things up for today. We'll be back in a couple days' time with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North. Thank you, God bless, and good day. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.